as we begin tonight, I just kind of want to survey the congregation. Um, how many of you are first-generation Christians? Your parents weren't saved, but you were the first one in your family to become a Christian. Okay, let me stand up higher so I can see. Okay. Was that hard work, breaking away from what you had to become? <laughs> All the first-generation Christians know how hard that was. Okay. How many second-generation Christians? That's what I am. Second-generation in the house. Your parents were saved, and you're a Christian. Okay. You're half and half? Oh, okay. I'm like, how are you a first and a second generation? <laughs> One parent was saying, okay, so you're half and half. Totally got it, Anna. Good. Second generation. Okay. How many third generation folks do we have? This is awesome. Good. Third generation. Okay. Fourth generation Christians? Wow. Wow. Okay. Fifth generation. Somebody say show off. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> So where do we stop? We stop at four generations, five generations. Wow. What a legacy. What a legacy. I know those of you who were first generation, you were the pioneers. You had a vision. You caught a vision from God of what life could be. And so you ran. You ran after it and you believed. It cost some of you family members, some of you first generation Christians. It cost you ties and relationships that you had. And even second and third generations, it's might have, it might have cost you something. I would love to see 5th and 6th and 7th and ninth generation Christians in that. That's why we did this. That's why we're, we're living for the Lord. We want to see that passed down. That's why you first generations broke the ground so that we can see that. What I want to do tonight is I want to begin to talk about preparing for the church of tomorrow. Preparing for the church of tomorrow. What will tomorrow's church look like? I don't mean the physical day tomorrow, but what will tomorrow's church look like? What will the church look like 20 years from now? If we continue at the rate that we are, what will the church look like 40 years from now? In 60 plus years, when this church is 100 years old, what will it look like? What will be the makeup of the church? How many of our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren would have stayed the course and continued serving the Lord? What will our church look like years from now? The next question that I have for you, as we begin to talk about preparing for the church of tomorrow, every one of us in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, we have something to pass on to the next generation. Every one of us has something to pass on to the next generation. And as we begin to look at how we can prepare for the church of tomorrow, my challenge for you as we go through this study is ask yourself, what do I have to pass on? Sometimes, if you're single or if you don't have any children, you might think, well, I don't, I don't really know who to pass that on to. I don't really know what I have to offer. But I want you to know tonight that every one of us has something to pass on. There are children in this church that need what you have. There are people in this church that need what you have. So as we go through this study, just be challenged. What is it that I have to pass on to help prepare for the church of tomorrow? Tonight I want to begin by going over to the book of Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, verse 18. And when you get there, just shout at me and say, I got it. It's nice to hear your pages turning. In, in the youth group, we don't hear a whole lot of pages turning now. It's like, you know, fingers swiping is what we hear. Did you hear that? That was a finger swipe. Okay, good. Got it. Just shout at me and say, I got it. Exodus chapter 4, verse 18. 
Let's just read. It's going to recap a story here. So, him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, that's where he was, that's where he married Zipporah, his wife, that's where he met his father-in-law, Jethro. After he fleed from Egypt, that's where he went. Now, God said to Moses, verse 19, go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and they returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod that God the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go. Verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Verse 24. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. The Lord met who? Moses and sought. Did we just read that correctly? The Lord met him and sought to kill him. Isn't this the same guy that God just said, go back to Egypt and deliver the children of Israel? Verse 24 says, on the way at the encampment, the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Why would God be looking to kill Moses? Let's keep reading. Verse 25. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let God let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Tonight in our text as we look at this, I want to explain a little bit about what's going on here. Moses is in the land of Midian. Moses is a, a child, you know, son of Abraham, one of the children of Israel who, you know, his life was saved, his, spare, his life was spared as his mother sent him down the river. He was picked up, raised in Egypt. But then he knows that God is going to use him to deliver the children of Israel. So he tries to make it happen on his own. He ends up killing an Egyptian and he ends up fleeing to Midian. In the land of Midian, he meets Jethro who becomes his father-in-law. He tends his sheep. He ends up marrying Zipporah. But something happens here. Moses does not continue the covenant relationship that he has with his son. He does not take that step. And all that he is doing, he's called by God. God says, you're going to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But in preparation for that, he neglected one of the very first things he was supposed to do back home. Because God said on the eighth day, every male child shall be circumcised. God said that the circumcision is a sign of the covenant between God and his children. I want to say this to us tonight, that there are standards in our lives that we have previously kept that we may not be keeping anymore and it's affecting our children. Are there things in our sons' and daughters' lives that we haven't corrected, that we haven't called out because the culture is too strong? One of the arguments, one of the commentaries, as, as you read through this story, it says that in the, in the Midian custom, they actually would wait till the child was 12 years old to circumcise them. So it may have been that Moses was going to circumcise him, but it was the culture that influenced him in studying the word of God, which said, you circumcise your son on the eighth day. And my challenge to us tonight is there are standards that we are quickly losing in our Christian culture because the push of the culture and the world is so strong. 
And if we don't hold the line, we are in danger. We are in danger, especially for the church of tomorrow, for these young people who are coming up. We are in danger of not teaching them and not passing on the correct covenant that God has. In, uh, in war movies and in war stories and some of the famous wars, you see that there, there, a war might be going wrong, that you know, they might be losing. And all of a sudden, they have this one chance, this one hill, this one bunker, this one line. And if they can just endure, if they can just hold the line and not let the enemy break through, then they'll be able to turn the tide of the war. And that's where we're standing in our culture right now. And so tonight, I'm addressing us first as adults. I'm asking the question, are there things in our children that we're not calling out because the culture has says that they're okay? Are there things that we're letting endure in our day? Even this Midian culture was a culture that honored God, but they saw it differently from God, and they changed his word. We're faced with a challenge as we look at preparing for the church of tomorrow. I'm challenging us tonight as adults to hold the line. To hold the line. To hold the standard. We can't allow the culture of the world to influence us so much that our children don't actually know what we stand for. They have to know. And uh, I want you to see the scripture. Follow me over to the book of Proverbs. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Proverbs chapter 22. I'm going to lose my coat. That's okay. Proverbs chapter 22, and I want you to go to verse 28. When you get there, just shout at me. Say, I got it. Okay, what we're about to read is a very powerful scripture. It's something that we have to, it's something I'm sharing with the youth all the time. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set in place. You see, sometimes every generation, we think that we know better than the generation before us. And even us older people, or even us adults, come on, you know that there was a time that you thought you knew better than your parents, right? Some of you are going to say, no, man, I always knew my parents were right. Come on, most of us, we had a time in our life when we thought that we knew better than our parents. But it was sound wisdom that kept us. It was wisdom that kept us. The scripture says here, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set in place. If we're going to prepare for the church of tomorrow, then we need to teach our young people that in God there is a standard. There is a righteous standard. There is a righteous requirement. And you come this far and you go no further. We'll not let the enemy come in this far. We need to. We have to. If we want to see the church of tomorrow live without compromise, we need to raise the standard. We need to hold the standard and not be afraid of the culture that's trying to influence us. Okay, I'm not talking about, you know, this is how you ought to dress as a Christian. I'm not talking about that type of stuff, okay? I'm talking about bigger things. I'm talking about what is it we believe as Christians? Fundamentals, just basics. What do we believe as Christians? 
we believe this is the inspired word of God. Period. This is the inspired word of God. Not a book of fables. Not a book of good moral stories. I'm so glad that pastor is on this on Sundays lately. Because this has to be the absolute authority in our lives. It has to dictate. As a Christian, I don't go by my experience and my circumstance. I have to go by what the Word of God says. And if my experience and my circumstance doesn't line up, it needs to line up to what the Word of God says. That is my job as a Christian. Not to make my life, not to make the, uh, uh, the, the Word look like my life, but to make my life look like the Word. Okay, that's our role. We have to teach that to the next generation. Uh, Just this past week, just this past week, a young pastor, and tonight the things that I share, I'm not picking on young pastors, but just this past week, a young pastor started off as a worship leader, then broke off and began to start his own church. Just this past week, he said, you know, we don't believe that this is really the word of God. We don't really believe it's the literal word of God. It's just... Just good stories that we kind of judge our life by. Really? We're talking about preparing for the church of tomorrow, and the church of today has allowed so much compromise to come in. So our young people are confused. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not attacking this church. A pastor has done an excellent job. I praise God that we have a solid foundation in the word here. But I'm exhorting us as adults tonight. And I'm going to get to the teenagers, don't worry. But I'm exhorting us as adults tonight. I'm starting with us, okay? I'm exhorting us as adults. And you're going to find out that I get to go in both camps. I get to be in the adult camp, and I get to be in the youth camp. That's just the way it is. <laughs> what do we believe as Christians? Fundamental. We believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe in God, the Father of creation, and His only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ. We believe. We believe that salvation is for everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord. That the blood of Jesus covers all sin. We believe in the person of the Holy Spirit and His work in our life today as comforter and helper. Those are just three things. Just three simple things. That we could consider fundamentals of our Christian walk. Listen, you don't have to have all these different doctrines under your belt. You don't have to have all these different denominations under your belt. I don't understand half of it. But these three fundamentals, if we as Christians, as adults, can hold on to them and really live them out, it will change the course of the younger people who are watching us. They will see that this is real. Because if we're not wishy-washy, if we're holding on because we know it's true, they're going to see it. They're going to see it. We believe. We believe. So the first thing I challenge us as adults tonight is to hold the line. Keep the standard. Just imagine that you're in a war, because we are. We're in a war, and the enemy is looking to take our camp. He is looking to come in, and what is he after? He's after the seed. He's after the word that's been deposited in our children. We have no other choice as men and women of God other than to hold the line and not allow him to have our children. You say, but my kids are already out there in the world. I don't care. I don't care. He can't have them. He cannot have them. And I'm living proof of that. 
See, I understand as parents, sometimes you have children, you have raised, you have deposited everything that you have. As a Christian, you brought them to church, you deposited everything that you have. And all of a sudden, you're holding the line, and they, they're the ones that keep bumping up against your line. Now remember, it's not them. We, war, we don't war against flesh and blood. You're not at war with your children. You're not at war with your children. You're not at war with your spouse. We wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And just because that might have confused your child, your son, or your daughter, doesn't mean you're wrestling against them. But I was coming up against that fence all the time. My parents held the standard. They held the standard. My dad said, my house, my rules. You live by it or you go. And I went for a little while. I didn't last very long, but I went for a little while. And you know what was interesting? Is it that he and my mom refused to back down. They refused. They held the standard. And you know what? One has to give at some point. And I kept running into that standard and bouncing back. And running into that standard and bouncing back. And finally, I just quit. (laughs) I just gave up. And when I quit, God spoke to me and changed my life. And I was 18 years old. And I've never been the same since 11 years ago. So it can happen. I encourage you as parents to hold on if you're praying for those children who are lost, who are out there in the world. But don't compromise the standard of the word of God. Don't compromise that. We have to hold on. We have to hold on. All right, it's going to get better. Are you ready? Good, because I'm ready. I want to take you back to the book of 2 Samuel. So the first thing we need is we need people in the church to hold the line. We're talking about preparing for the church of tomorrow. We need people that are going to hold the line. Men and women who say, you know what? I'm here. I'm standing right here. I'm planted. We're going to hold the garrison. We're going to hold down the bunker. Ain't no enemy coming in here. We need, we need people to do that. 2 Samuel chapter 23. We also need... Some courageous warriors. Now, you know you're a warrior because when we read this, you're just going to get all riled up. You might just do a little run around the church. It's just just how the warriors are. They're just bred differently than the rest of us. So I'm going to have to try to hold you down here. Second Samuel. The warriors are the ones laughing right now because they know. Watch out, man. I'm about to book it. Second Samuel. I'd like you to go to uh, chapter 23, verse 13. Man, we need some warriors. We need, we need people to hold the line, but we need some warriors who aren't afraid to break through the enemy's camp. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 13. We're going to read about some of David's mighty men. Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David in the cave of Enz and camped in the valley of Rephaim. I hope I said that correctly. David was in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was in, then in Bethlehem. And David said with a longing... Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the, excuse me, of the Philistines, drew the water from the well of Bethlehem that was at the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. It is not the blood, is it not the blood of men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. 
Now, there's this whole story in 2 Samuel chapter 23. It's all about David's mighty men. There are more than three, so don't disqualify yourself right off the bat. The church of tomorrow, if they could speak to us right now, they would look at those of us who are adults and look at those of us who are teenagers and young people, and they would see, we need some mighty warriors who are not afraid to break through the enemy's camp, to get what you need, to come back and refresh some others. So while we need people to hold the line, we need some of you to rise up and teach us younger ones how to break through that camp, how to do it, because we need to see you do it first so that we know how to do it. And some of you have it. Not everyone's a mighty warrior. Okay, I mean, in God's eyes, we are. But there's only a few of these mighty men. I'm calling out to you mighty men and women tonight. I'm saying there is something you can deposit in this generation that would change the church of tomorrow if you just be willing You see, something happened to those mighty men. I believe that this was a time of despair for David. It said that his heart longed. David is not winning in battle here. He's not winning in victory. He's hanging out in the cave as a coward. He's hiding. He's hiding. We need some of those mighty warriors to rally around some people in the church who are hiding right now because they're hurt. They're hiding right now because they're hurt. We need some mighty warriors when they see our pastor down to rally around and say, listen, what do you need? I'm going to go out there and get it. I'm going to break through the enemy's camp and I'm going to come back and bring it to refresh you. We need some mighty men and women to rise up and be the warriors that God has called us to be. Be the warriors that God has called you to be. What does that actually look like? Because it's a great statement, but what does it actually look like? Well, I got to thinking about this today, and there's a, there's a, a, a husband and a wife team, I hope I get this correct, that um, have connections to Liberia. We know everything that's going on in Liberia right now with, with the Ebola virus, and just this past Sunday we heard that uh, we can actually collect some things to bring to them. There's a family here that knows how to make that connection, and I just got that image. That's it. There's a need over there in Liberia. And they're sending the call out because they don't have what they actually need. But this person over here in our church says, wait a minute. I know how to do that. I can get that done. So they go out to the church. They reach out to the church and say, we can do this. We can get these supplies over there and start saving some lives. Start saving some doctor's lives so that they in turn can save other lives. We're going to break through that camp of sickness. We're going to bring the supplies that they need. And we're going to get what they need over to them. That's just a great simple example doesn't have to be something mighty. doesn't have to be something extremely courageous. But just people who are willing. They see a need. They see a hurt. They say, wait a minute. I know that it might be tough to go out there and get it, but I can do that. I can do that. And then go and do it. I'm telling you that the younger people who are looking up right now at us and the church of tomorrow, if they could speak to us, what they would say is we need some people to stand We need some righteous, bold people who aren't going to allow the culture to just flap around, slap them around, but are going to be strong and confident in what they believe. That's what we're longing for. My final challenge for us as adults tonight, and we'll get to the youth, my final challenge for us as adults is probably the most difficult one. It's going to pierce the most. And it's to live a genuine faith. I want to bring to you something that I hear from the youth all the time. It is not what I believe, but I want to bring to you something that I hear from the youth all the time. Many young people are walking out these doors today of our church and churches all over because they believe that the church is filled with hypocrites. They believe that the church is filled with hypocrites. 
I'm not saying that that's correct. What I'm saying, what I am saying is that as adults and as leaders, we need to stop, look, and listen. We need to listen to what they're saying. Could it be because there is some? We're always going to find that. Jesus had hypocrisy on his team. I mean, it's got to be here. But those of us who are genuine in our faith need to take these younger ones who are going out because they're thinking everyone's a hypocrite. We need to bring them in and teach them, this is how you live a genuine faith. Don't worry about what you're seeing all the time. This is how you live a genuine faith. We as adult Christians need to model a genuine faith to these young people. They're not concerned. I'm just bringing it to you. Young people are not concerned with our Christianese. They're not impressed with our Christianese. They're not impressed with how we can fake a smile. I'm just giving you the truth. They need to know that when they walk through those doors and they're hurting, you can put your arm around them. You can be right there for them. You can encourage them. They're not impressed with what we have to offer when it comes to that. I'm not saying we're being hypocritical. But I am saying they're looking for a genuine faith. And a genuine faith is more than what we offer all the time. More than what we offer with our words. They're looking to see the reality of the love of Christ evident in our lives. That I see your hurt and I see your pain. And I'm willing to reach across and touch you. Isn't that what Jesus did? The leper came running to Jesus. He said, Lord, if you're willing, he said, I will be healed. I can't lie to you, and I can't butter it up. I can't sugarcoat it. Young people in our culture are hurting today. They're hurting. And they're looking for us as adults to hold the line of the standard. Because we all know, all the research shows, that children thrive and are much more successful when they have the boundaries. Regardless of what they say, they're much more successful when they have the boundaries. So if we set the boundary, and we set the perimeter, and we don't allow that fence to be broken down, and if we go out there and be mighty warriors, we pray, Lord, how can I be a warrior for this generation? Listen, I don't have all the answers tonight. All I'm doing is raising the issue, raising the flag, saying, if we're going to prepare for the church of tomorrow, we need to begin to pray, Lord, teach us to hold the line. Lord, teach us to be the warrior. Lord, teach us to live a genuine faith. Romans chapter 12, please. Nobody brought any stones with them in the house tonight, right? (laughs) Tomato? All right. I'd take a tomato over a stone any day. Romans chapter 12, and I'd like you to go to verse 9. I, I, please understand me. I, I'm not at all. There's no attack from me at all tonight. I'm just bringing what I hear. I want, I want to challenge us as adults. I'm challenged too. I'm challenged every single day. Because God has put me in this position to minister to these young people. And I'm here. It's a challenge every day. God, how can we do it effectively? God, how can we be genuine in reaching this culture? So that they can see your true love, God. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor and giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I have to tell you that one of the things that this generation struggles with is how we read in the scriptures 
that we're not supposed, like we're supposed to bless those who curse us. And we as parents come home from work sometimes and we're talking about our boss. We're talking negatively about somebody else. We're gossiping and talking about somebody else and our children are there in in our house. And they're listening to what it is that we have to say. Or we're supposed to be walking in love or driving in love and somebody cuts us off (laughs) and we react and our children in the backseat saying, really, is he... We just came from church. Is that, does pastor know that? Because I don't get that, you know? And I know it's hard. I know. I get it. I know it's hard. But what we don't realize, okay, I'm going to just tell them myself. I've got to make myself feel bad in front of you. So a couple weeks ago, we're over in the fellowship hall in between service. And, uh, you know, my, we set my kids up with the little snacks so that they can stay, you know, fed throughout both services. And I get Lily everything that she needs. Lily's five now. So I get her everything that she needs. And then I'm kind of walking by the table. As I walk by the table, I just kind of grab a cracker. You know, Lily knows you don't touch anything unless mom and dad give it to you. But I just kind of walk by the table and I grab a cracker and put it in my mouth. So what do you think Lily does? Walks by the table. Dad, you just did it. I don't get what you... What do you mean? <laughs> just doesn't compute. I don't get it, Dad. You just did it. But I'm your dad. I, I, I can do that. And I begin to realize, wait a minute. She's going to do everything I do. I know you guys know this. I'm just, just follow me. She's going to do what I say, not necessarily. She's going to do what I do, not necessarily everything that I say. It was a great little lesson that God kind of stopped me. I'd rather learn that lesson over a cracker than, than, over, than over something bigger. I'm not saying I won't have to learn that lesson again, but I'd rather learn it at the cracker. We need to be sure that we're modeling a genuine faith for our children so that they actually see, listen, it's not just when I go to church that I put on my church coat and I put on my church clothes and I act like a Christian. But at home, what you see is what you get. At home, at church, what you see is what you get. I'm real. Who I am is real. We need to teach our children. Listen, that means that we're going to actually have to try to do this. We're going to actually have to learn to behave like Christians. But we can do it by seeking the Lord. Let's keep reading. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Man, this is a challenge in our culture today. We're living in a get-back culture. I'm going to get back at you for what you did to me. And if our children are seeing it in us, they're going to do it. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We can do this, folks. We can do this, friends. We can do this together. As we submit ourselves to the Lord, the work of the Holy Spirit, we we can do this. He will teach us how to do this. He will teach us how to do this. We're going to do this. We are going to do this and prepare for the church of tomorrow. We are going to help them see what a genuine faith looks like so that when they're there, they can hold the line for their grandchildren. When they're there, they can hold the line for their great-grandchildren. All right, all of us adults are on break now. Relax. I want to talk to those of us who are young tonight. I told you I get to go in both camps. It's just the nature of the beast. It's the way it works. 
I want to talk to those of us who are young tonight. And I want to tell you one of the biggest things that we need to do is we need to listen to wisdom. We need to listen to wisdom. Every generation thinks they know better than the generation before. But if we listen to wisdom, it'll keep us. I just want to kind of survey the book of Proverbs. The first seven chapters of the book of Proverbs. Follow me and just do a little experiment with me for a minute, okay? Everyone turn over there. Proverbs chapter 1. Just look at this for a moment. We're going to survey the first seven chapters of the book of Proverbs. And let's look at what the scripture says. Okay, when you get to Proverbs chapter 1, shout at me and say, I got it. Okay. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. My son... Hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom, lend your ear to understanding, that you may preserve discretion. Chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's command, and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart, tie them around your neck. Chapter 7, my words, and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my law as the apple of your eye. The first seven chapters of the book of Proverbs are pleading with those of us who are young people to say, listen to wisdom and get understanding. Get the fear of the Lord by gaining knowledge and understanding. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And I've got to say to us, those of us who are young tonight, we need to learn to listen to wisdom. So many, I shared with you about that young pastor who said that this is not really the word of God, but you know, just a good book of moral, moral stories. So many, I'm watching, I'm watching the culture in our nation right now. And I'm watching how is the culture influencing our church culture. And as I'm looking out at churches across the nation, so many of these young leaders, and I'm not attacking young leaders, I'm a young leader. But so many of these young leaders think that they really know what the culture needs, how to reach the culture for Christ. And so they're breaking off from any covering of their church, from any wisdom they have in their church, and they're going off and doing it in the world, and they're getting caught. There are issues that are rising up. Why? Because there's no covering. There's no wisdom. They're raging against sound wisdom, raging against sound judgment. As a result, they're getting caught up in things that they don't have to get caught up in. If we would listen to wisdom, the scripture says, we will keep our way and we'll live and we'll have length of days. These first seven chapters are pleading with those of us who would listen to say, listen to the voice of wisdom. The second thing I want to say to young people tonight is painful. 
literally sometimes, receive correction. When we hear that word correction, our mind automatically goes to pain. We associate correction with pain because sometimes correction comes with pain. Pain comes as a result of correction. But I have to tell us tonight, correction isn't a bad thing. We, we read a couple weeks ago with Pastor John in the book of Hebrews that the Lord corrects those whom he loves. It's because of his love that he corrects. Young people, I want to tell you that your parents correct you because they love you. It is their love for you that causes them to correct you. Correction isn't a bad thing. Correction is when I'm going this way and I'm going the wrong way, someone or something comes to redirect me to get back on the correct path. We need to listen to correction. We need to listen to wisdom. We need to receive correction. The final thing I want to say to young people tonight is really important, and it comes from the book of Proverbs. You're already there, so turn a couple pages over to the right. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. I want to say to us young people tonight, and all of us really, receive counsel. Receive and accept counsel. Chapter 11, verse 14. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. There is no one-man show in the church. The only one man is Jesus. Every one of us else needs counselors. I don't mean we need counselors in terms of we need help. I mean we need wise, godly counsel. We need as young people to surround ourselves with those who are older and wiser. And this goes for all of us. We need to receive that counsel. When we get off on our own, Proverbs also tells us that a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. When we get off on our own, we're seeking our own desire. We're seeking our own ambition. But if we want to be the church of tomorrow, if we want to rise up and do what God has called us to do, then we need to, yes, listen to wisdom. Yes, receive correction. But yes, receive counsel and surround ourselves with counseling, God, God, counsel, godly men and godly women who will pour into our lives, who will teach us, listen, Don't do that. Do this. This is the right way to go. Stay on this path. Ponder the path of your feet. Let your way be established. Don't go over here to the right. Don't go over to the left. But keep going straight down the path. We need that counsel. Every one of us can get off. I love what Pastor Lafayette says when he comes. All of us, any one of us can malfunction at any time. Nobody is that good. Any one of us can malfunction at any time. And if we do not surround ourselves with counsel, we're putting ourselves in the enemy's camp. We're seeking our own desire and our own ambition, and we're not allowing the voice of counsel to lead us in wisdom. There's another pastor just this past week in our nation. I'm not out to attack anyone. I'm here to share with you so that we can get an example. There's another who was dismissed and kicked out of the organization that he started, and he was also asked to resign from his position in his church for what they called ungodly and disqualifying behavior. Now, they wrote this letter to him, and they said, you know, we're kicking you out of the organization, even though you founded it, and we ask you to resign your post as pastor from this church. This is all public, so we can read about this. We can talk about it. And they said, they cited several instances where they called on the pastor, told him the issues, and he refused to listen to the wisdom. He refused to receive the correction. He refused to receive and accept the counsel. And as a result, he had to get cut off. I'm trying to call on us tonight and tell us what God wants us to understand 
is that if we're willing to listen to wisdom, if we're willing to receive correction, and if we're willing to surround ourselves in a multitude of godly counselors, then we can be the church of tomorrow. Then we can do what God has called us to do. But I'm warning us, myself included, if we get out on our own and we won't listen to wisdom and we won't receive correction and we won't listen to counsel, we are not going to do this thing. So I go back to my first question. What does a church look like 20 years from now? What does a church look like 40 years from now? 60 plus years when this church is 100 years old or a little over 100 years old, what does it look like? What does it look like? The final thought I want to leave, I want to leave to all of us tonight. Every one of us has something to bring to the table to prepare for the church of tomorrow. The final proverb I want to share with you is Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29 says, The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. I think the beautiful picture that we're left with for the future is that the young and the old, older, can come together, can come together to walk in unity, to work with one another where younger people aren't raging against the wisdom and counsel of the older because they understand, I'm here for a reason to help you. I see that you have strength, but I have wisdom. Let me, counter, let me, let me be the counterpart to you. See, young people are always looking to fight. They're always looking for something to fight for. You see it in our nation, right, right with gangs. They're always looking for something to fight for. You see it across the world where drug lords and drug cartels and warlords get these kids at eight years old and turn them into murderers. Put an M16 and AK-47 in their hand. Turn them into murderers at 8, 12 years old. Young people are looking for something to fight for. I say, let's give them something to fight for. Let's give them, let's give them the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Let's give them the kingdom of God. Let's take the strength of the young people and let's marry that with the wisdom of our elders. And let's go out and do this thing for the Lord. Instead of letting culture reshape us, let's go out there together and reshape the culture. Let's be what God called us to be. I believe that that's the picture that we're looking forward to. The church of tomorrow can be. See, we've already done it in our church. We have 30 plus nations represented in our church. It's not an issue of ethnicity in our church. We get it. We're already past, I think in some degree, the gender barrier. Man, there is an age barrier that needs to be broken down in our church culture today. And we need to come together as young and as older and do this thing for the kingdom of God. But it's going to take work. It's going to take us working together. If we would do those things that we talked about tonight, we will begin to see this. If us young people could just look up and recognize that those of us who are, those are, who are there correcting and giving wisdom, it's because they love us and they want to see us succeed. And those of us who are older, if we would look down and recognize that the strength that that person has, that that fight inside of that young person is really a gift from God. See, the glory, the strength... And the glory is the fight. And the splendor that, young, that old men have is you get to rest in that. You've already fought the fight. And now you get to pass on the torch. Now you get to say, okay, let me show you 
what the mistakes I made. Let me show you how to avoid it so you can go and do it better than I did. I believe we're looking at a beautiful picture. I believe the church of tomorrow will thrive if we do just begin to do the things that we've talked about tonight. The challenge is set before all of us, every single one of us, and we all have something to give. We all have something to deposit for the church of tomorrow. Let me pray for us tonight. Father, I thank you for your word this evening. I thank you for your word that's gone forth. I ask you, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask at the beginning that you would make the words clear. And tonight, I just ask that you would just settle in every heart what we looked at tonight. Settle in every heart, Lord, that we would know, okay, how does this apply to me? Let us begin to ask that question, Lord. How does this apply to me? So that we can really do what you've called us to do for the church of tomorrow. I pray for every adult in this room, Father. Lord, my heart first goes out to the adults who are the parents who have children who are out there right now and they're lost. God, you know the cry of their heart. You know the struggle that they have right now. You know how they long to see that child come home. And you can do it, Lord. Nothing is too difficult for you. Father, I pray for those parents. Not only did they pray that they pray for their child to come home, but Lord, that the parents would hold the line, that they would keep the standard and not compromise the standard for the sake of reaching that child. But Lord, you reach that child as we hold the line. I pray for those of us in this room who are adults, who have something to deposit to the next generation. Lord, I pray that we would be mighty warriors, that you would right now, even at this moment, begin to stir some things up on the inside of us, Lord, that we could do to teach the next generation how to war for the kingdom. And Father, I pray for those of us adults tonight and everyone in this room, God, would you teach us to have a genuine faith Lord, we're all tired. We're all tired of faking it. Lord, would you teach us to have a genuine faith? I know it's going to require us getting in the book. I know it's going to require us spending time in prayer. But as we do that, Lord, help us develop a genuine faith. Lord, I pray for our young people tonight, all of us. Lord, let us not be offended by the word tonight. Let us receive that word as wisdom, as counsel, as correction. Help us, Lord, to receive that. I pray for all of us, Lord, that the word that's been deposited would return to you in a great harvest. In the name of Jesus.